Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Last week, in between our calls, we were talking about serving Jesus. We started by reading John 12, 26, where Jesus says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. We're noticing from this passage that it's actually required to go to heaven, that is to be with Jesus in the afterlife. That's what this is talking about. It's required to serve Jesus. A lot of people say all you got to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. But no, you not only got to believe in him, you have to serve him. We illustrate the difference between believing in a king and serving a king. In 1776, the 13 colonies believed the king of England existed. But they didn't want to serve him, did they? So the same is true about Jesus. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, Revelation 19, 16. It's one thing to believe that the king, Jesus, exists. It's another thing to actually serve that king. There's a big difference. And John 12, 26 is saying you got to do more than just believe. you got to serve him. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. Well, what does it mean to serve Jesus? Well, according to this text in John 12, 26, the way we serve Jesus is by following him. You know, the apostles followed Jesus by walking around with him through the countryside every day, hearing him preach, eating meals with him, camping out with him every night, I suppose. We can't follow Jesus that way. He's not here. We follow Jesus by following his teachings. Like if a person says they're a follower of Gandhi, what does that mean? Well, Gandhi's dead. That means they study his teachings and they follow his teachings. If we're going to be a follower of Christ, this says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. We study his teachings and we follow his teachings, the teachings of Christ. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus, that he's the son of God. If you really believe he's the son of God, that means he's our authority. We're going to believe and follow his teachings. Well, let's talk about some aspects of serving Jesus. First of all, if we're going to serve Jesus, we can only serve him. We can only serve God. In Matthew 4, verse 10, Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So we can't serve anybody else. Well, back then, they pro there was a lot of people that would literally serve idols. They would bow down to statues. I don't see too many people like that today. But we have passages like in Colossians that says, Covetousness is idolatry. If we put money before God, then money is our idol, in effect. If we put anything before God, then that thing we put before God is our idol. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, when the Bible says you cannot do such and such, it's not saying that it's impossible. It's saying that you ought not to. Like if I told my son when he was a little boy, you can't you can't play on the street. You cannot play on the street. Did I mean it's impossible? No, I just mean you can't. But in Matthew 6, 24, I think it's saying it's impossible. You, it's impossible to serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or money or God and anything else. For example, if I have a boss at work, two bosses at work, let's say. One boss tells me to do something at 9 a.m. And the other boss tells me to do something else at 9 a.m. No way I can do what both of them say. 
cannot serve two masters. It's impossible. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God or anything else. Either you're going to put God first or that other thing first. Joe from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Well, I guess Joe got dropped off. Another thing we learned about serving Jesus is we serve God with fastings and prayer. And by the way, Joe, if you want to get back on the line or anybody else wants to call in, the number to call is 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. Luke 2.37, talking about the widow Anna, says she was a widow of about four score and four years, so maybe 84 years old, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So we want to serve Jesus. One of the ways we would serve him is with fastings and prayers. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we're to pray without ceasing. A lot of times people misunderstand that. They think, well, that means you've got to be praying every second of the day. No, if that's what it meant, you couldn't even go to sleep. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that you don't stop praying to God regularly. Let's say a faithful Christian prays to God 10 or 12 times a day, and a Christian does that for, say, five years, and then he just stops praying for a month. You see how he has stopped his regular praying? It's not that he's supposed to pray every second of the day. He's supposed to keep praying regularly. We serve God with fastings and prayers. And we notice from Matthew 23, verse 11, that the greatest Christian is the one who serves the most. We might think... Well, the greatest Christian, that's the one who's the most eloquent speaker and gets to preach all the time before big audiences. No. Matthew 23, 11 says, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So really, it's not the person who is the greatest speaker and gets to preach all the time that's the greatest Christian. It's the one who serves the most. Like, for example, a woman, a lady, who whenever she hears about somebody who's sick or who's died, takes food, makes food and takes it over and Help the family. Or a young man maybe hears, sees that a, a widow's long. She can't cut her grass herself. So he goes over and cuts her grass out of the goodness of his heart. You see, that's the greatest Christian, the one who serves. Not necessarily the one that we think is the greatest, but the one who serves the most. That's the greatest Christian. Rob from Maryland, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes. My Bible question and comment is about regarding the, like, the Bible says about marrying someone that's divorced. And I heard someone said on uh, one of the preaching that you cannot repent from it. And I thought that you should be able to repent from anything because Jesus died on the cross to give us repentance. Correct? Well, let me read Matthew 19, 9 for the audience's sake, Rob. It says, Jesus is speaking. He says, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So if I divorce my wife, Carol, for, let's say, incompatibility, which is the most common cause of divorce in Alabama, not that she cheated on me, but just because, quote, I don't love her anymore, and I marry another, this says that second marriage is adultery. Right, Rob? Yes. And it says whoever marries that person. Okay, it says whoever marries that woman commits adultery. Well, it's not that you can't repent, but the fact is it's what repentance means. If I'm living in adultery with a second wife and living in adultery with her, what would repentance, if I truly repent, what does that mean I'm going to do with that relationship? 
what should you do? Yeah. Well, what, well, let's say two men are married to each other, a gay marriage, and they want to repent. Can they just stay in the relationship, or do they have to terminate the relationship? Oh, they have to terminate the relationship. Yeah, they can't keep on committing that. They can't, can't keep sleeping with one another. They can't just say, I'm sorry, and keep having homo sex with one another, can they? No. So if I divorce Carol for incompatibility and I marry Betty, I'm in adultery. I want to repent and get forgiveness. i got to repent of that. I can't just say I'm sorry and keep on sleeping with Betty. That's committing adultery every time I sleep with Betty, right? Mm -hmm. So you can repent of it, but repentance means that you terminate the relationship. Repentance means you stop the sin. If a thief repents of stealing, he quits stealing. If a homosexual repents of homosexuality, he quits committing the sin of homosexuality. And if adulterer Say I'm in that second marriage. If I don't repent of adultery, I've got to quit committing the sin of adultery. I've got to terminate that relationship. I can't keep on having sex with that second wife. That's adultery. You follow me, Rob? Yeah. So, okay. Now, so, what if, so that means both parties are committing adultery because one were married before and the other were not. So both parties are committing adultery. Well, so what if, if what I divorce Carol for burning the biscuits and I marry Betty, both me and Betty are committing adultery. We're committing adultery with each other. So what right? do you do? Is that what you're asking? You, and yes. So you so you call you will come out of the marriage, end the marriage and walk away? If of course. You can't keep committing adultery. Just like oh. a gay marriage. You can't you can't just say I'm sorry and stay in a gay marriage. You can't say you're sorry and stay in an adulterous marriage. So I gotta terminate the marriage with Betty and seek reconciliation with Carol. Let me illustrate something for you, Rob. I'm turning to Mark 6. Rob, let me read for you Mark 6, 17 and 18, okay? Okay. Secular history tells us that Herod had divorced his wife, Herodias had divorced her husband, and now Herod and Herodias are married. So Mark 6, 17 and 18, it says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John, talking about John the Baptist, and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod... It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So when John the Baptist is saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her, Herodias, what's he implying, Rob, that Herod needs to do to be right with God? To terminate it. If he's, yeah, if he says it's not lawful for you to have her, it means it, he didn't just say it's unlawful for you to marry her, but you can keep her. He said it's not it's unlawful for you to have her. So if I divorce Carol for incompatibility and marry Betty, Jesus calls that adultery in Matthew 19.9. It's unlawful for me to have Betty. i got to terminate that marriage. Now go ahead with your follow-up, Rob. I cut you off a while ago trying to get to March 6. Go ahead. Okay, and so now when you, so now you terminate the marriage, that means mean both parties cannot be married again. So but Paul said, if, what do you do then if you cannot uh, stay celibate? What do you do then if you're not married? Well, so if I terminate the marriage with Betty, you cannot be I need to yet. seek I need to seek reconciliation with Carol, my original wife. Remember, I told her when I got married to her, I was going to stay with her in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, till death do us part. So I need to fulfill that obligation. Let me read a passage to you to help you to see that. Rob, Romans so what 7, if, what, 2 what, and 3 what says. What if she don't want to reconcile, uh, reconcile uh, get back with you? It's a good question. Let me read Romans 7, 2, and 3. It says, For a woman which hath an husband is bound, that, that simply means obligated, 
bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband be liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. That works both ways. So I'm bound to Carol as long as she lives. So I got to terminate the marriage with Betty, seek reconciliation with Carol. Now you're saying, what if she won't take me back, right? Yes. Then I have to remain single. Because I can't go out and marry another, that's adultery. I have to remain single if Carol won't take me back. She should take me back, but what if she won't? It takes two to tango, as they say. She won't take me back. I have to remain single because I can't go out and marry somebody else and commit adultery. Right, Rob? Okay. Yep, right. I mean, that's that's clearly what Jesus is teaching. Now, I know most churches, they tell me, statistics say, about 95% of churches are filled with people who are in second and third marriages, so that 20 to 30% of the membership of 95% of the churches out there in the United States and Canada, 20 to 30% of the membership are in second or third marriages. They're in violation of Matthew 19.9. So 100 years ago, Rob, all churches used to stand for the truth on this issue. But because there were so many divorces, now you have a divorce, one divorce for every two marriages. Half of the marriages in a divorce. Most churches, about 95% of them, they quit standing for the truth. They just, it's like a don't ask, don't tell policy. We don't care if you divorce and remarry, go ahead. We're going to keep you because we want to keep our numbers up. And we want to keep the contribution up. So we're not going to preach the truth. What Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, we're not going to preach the truth on divorce and remarriage. Because they're afraid of losing members and, and money. But the truth is oh, easy okay. to understand. Maybe it's harder. Maybe it's easier said than done. But it's not that hard to understand in Matthew 19, 9, is it, Rob? No, I totally agree. So, so okay, Rob, so what about the other person that... If the, so now the person that weren't never been married before, that person can go ahead and get married. Oh yeah, a single person can get married, as long, but they can't marry somebody who's been married before, because it says in Matthew nineteen nine, the second part of the verse says, "Whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery." So if I've never been married before, I can't go marry a woman who just left her husband because unless she divorced his her husband because he was cheating on her, then I could marry her. But if she left him for incompatibility or for any other reason, she has no right to marry. So I can't go marry her. Gotcha. Makes sense. Okay. Makes sense. So it's not to be like cheating or, or there's, you know, the person doesn't. Okay. It makes sense. Yeah. He said, except for, he said, he he says, except for fornication. I mean, when Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We understand that means you cannot see the kingdom of God unless this is one. This is the one and only way. You have to be born again. So when he says in Matthew nineteen nine, except for fornication, that means that's the one and only scriptural cause for divorce. Mm-hmm. Of course, we read in Romans 7, 2, and 3, if my spouse dies, then I can remarry. But as long as she's still alive, I'm obligated to her. I can't remarry unless she cheats on me and I divorce her for that reason. Make sense, Rob? Makes sense. Yes, totally makes sense. Thank you for your call, Rob. Let's stand for the All truth right, so on it, okay? Appreciate you. Definitely. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bob from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Howdy, how are you tonight? Go ahead, Bob. Make it quick. Hello. You don't have a whole lot of time. Can you hear me? Hello. Bob, Hello. go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Lisa from New Jersey, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, how are you? Um, I wanted to continue asking, and I, I hate to keep asking the same things. The gentleman before was talking about divorce and remarriage. 
I am having a lot of turmoil over this, sobbing hysterically. I did get divorced 10 years ago. Um, I am in a relationship, have been in it for nine years. My concern is my ex-husband and I did not get married in a church. We kind of did our own thing. Um, didn't really follow Christian beliefs. Didn't go to church. We're not true Christian followers, even though we were brought up Catholic. I am thinking about getting reinvolved in the church, trying to get into, um, like, born-again Christian kind of um, churches. And I'm, I am reading all of these scriptures, all the different wordings, um, Matthew, Corinthians, you know, what it says. I understand what it is saying, but if you are becoming a born-again Christian because you really truly do want to live your life the way you should be as a Christian, does that then allow you to remarry, or is that still considered, nope, it's adultery no matter what? No. Becoming a Christian doesn't change your marital state. You're, you're forgiven of your sins, but it doesn't change your marital state. So... So if you're in an unscriptural marriage, getting baptized is not going to change the fact that that's an unscriptural marriage. Let me ask you, your first, you said you, you first husband, you did your own thing. Did you, did you get married like by, with the justice of the peace or did you just live together? Yeah, no, I mean, it was a real marriage. It's just not, we didn't do okay. it, you know, our Catholic marriage. We didn't, we weren't involved okay. in church. Not in the Catholic church. Also, yeah. did, did you divorce him because he cheated on you? Is that why? Is that what ended the marriage? We, we got, he was an alcoholic, and so therefore was not really a, a good husband because of it. Um, but he didn't cheat. No, he well, not that I'm aware of. No. Yeah. So Romans seven two and three, love you, Lisa. But Romans seven two and three says you're bound to him as long as he lives, obligated yeah. to him. You wouldn't have a right to marry somebody else. I mean, those vows you made when you married your first husband. Till death do us part, God expects you to fulfill those vows. And if you become a Christian, then that's great. That means you're you're you've decided you're going to fulfill those vows to your first husband. That's what doing, being a Christian is: is following passages like Matthew nineteen nine and these other passages on divorce and remarriage, and all the other passages in the New Testament. But becoming a Christian means I've decided I'm repenting of my sins, and I'm going to start following those passages. And the last thing you can do is continue in an adulterous relationship. Right. I guess I'm a little confused because I thought I read passages that said you weren't even permitted to go back to your original marriage. Yeah. That, that, there's nothing like that in the New Testament. But, Lisa, i tell you what I'm going to do. I think what we need to do is talk more about your specifics, but I don't want to do that on the air. So I'm going to try to call you after the program's over and maybe a, figure out a time when we can talk about this in more detail. I, I don't want to get into all the, the sure. specifics sure. on the air with you, Okay. Sure. So if you don't mind, accept a call from me later in the evening, and I won't be calling to talk to you about it then. I'll just call then to set up a time, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a good evening. Thanks for your call. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Gina from Oregon, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi. My, my question is, me and my husband have been separated for like two years, maybe a little over two years, and... I know you said that, you know, you commit adultery. That's the only way you can be separate or divorced. I want to know if him looking at, at um, pornography, um, it, 
Is that the same thing? No. Looking at pornography, according to Matthew 5, 28, is adultery in the heart. It's not the same thing as actual physical adultery, which is the, the only cause for scriptural divorce, Matthew 19, 9. It is a sin. It's considered lasciviousness in Galatians 5, 19. But you have adultery and lasciviousness treated separately in Galatians 5, 19. Actual, literal adultery is what you can divorce your spouse for, according to Matthew 19, 9. Pornography is a sin. He needs to repent of it. This lascivious behavior. But uh, it's, you can't divorce him for that. But a lot of times, where there's smoke, there's fire. A lot of times, it's not always true, Gina, but a lot of times when a man is looking at pornography, he may be out there committing adultery too. Okay? Okay, and do, but doesn't Jesus say that even if you commit adultery, like if you look at another woman lustfully, you're, does that, is that sinning or did he say commit adultery? I think he said sinning. Yeah, it is. And I, I quoted this verse or tried to, but I'm going to read to you Matthew 5.28. You're right, Gina. Matthew 5.28, in verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So it is true when a person's looking at pornography, he's committing adultery with another woman in his heart. But Matthew yeah. 19.9 is talking about actual, literal adultery. Let me just give you a quick illustration here. Okay. The Bible says in 1 John that when you hate somebody, you're a murderer. But So when, according to the Bible, if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder. But it's murder in the heart. You're, you're not going to find uh, the government's not going to take you and convict you. Just because you hated somebody, convict you of murder and maybe execute you, right? Right, right. Be because the murder they're going to execute you for in Alabama they're going to give you electric chair for is not murder in the heart, but it's literal, actual murder. So there's a big difference between literal, actual murder and hate, which is murder in the heart. And there's also a big difference between actual adultery and adultery in the heart. And I feel sorry for you because your husband's pornography, that's another sex, bad sexual sin, but it's not the sin you can divorce him for, Gina. Okay. All right. I've just been curious about that because I don't know how to go on with my life. With I just I'm kind of in limbo. I don't know. Gina, let's talk. Uh, let's talk sometime later when we can talk offline. Okay. Instead of trying to do, talk that. about these details on the program. Okay. Because you're you're right that. now you're being hit all over the nation, and so let's uh, oh let me let me okay. call you later. <laughs> all right. Have a good great. evening, Gina. That's great. Thank you so okay. much. All right. All right. Bye bye. Hey, Bob from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Can you hear me this time? Yes, sir, I got you. Uh, I just want to kind of make a comment, if I might. It sounds to me like you're doing a whole lot in the New Testament, but like they were doing in the Old Testament. you got to obey this law, you got to obey that law, you got to do this, you got to do that. And yet we're saved by grace through faith and not by works of the law. So... I hope the people understand that are listening. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your call, Bob. You know, uh, I'm not sure. I couldn't. Bob didn't say enough for me to know for sure, but he could be a little bit confused. When Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is saying we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, it's not saying that you don't have to do anything in order to be saved. It's saying the things we do, that's not the things that saves us. We're saved by the death of Christ. We're saved by the blood of Christ. That doesn't mean we don't have to do anything to be saved. Let me illustrate with the walls of Jericho. 
God said to the Israelites, you walk around the walls 13 times for seven days and I'll knock those walls down. Now, did the walking around the walls knock the walls down? No, God knocked the walls down. But did that mean, does that mean they didn't have to walk? No, they did have to walk. You see, and that's the same thing with salvation. God is the one that saves us. It's done by the death, the blood of Christ. The, our faith doesn't save us in that sense. And our works don't save us in that sense. Earn our salvation. The blood of Christ does. But that doesn't mean we don't have to believe in order to be saved. We do. John 3.16. That doesn't mean we don't have to obey God in order to be saved. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 talking about Jesus said he became the author or the source of eternal salvation to, to all them that obey him. So our works, they're not the thing that saves us. The death of Christ does. But we do have to obey him to be saved by the death of Christ. So all these things that we find out that we have to do not divorcing your spouse, getting baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We need to do those to please God. The thing that saves us is the death of Christ. But the death of Christ is not going to save anybody unless they trust and obey Christ. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study, 256-682-9753. Thank you for